On this episode of Resi Week, the federal government is banning AV products, or at least a handful of incandescent lights. The uh, importance of having natural disaster detection in your smart home and taking a look at power and acoustics. All that and more next on Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 392, recorded Tuesday, August 8th, 2023. Band AV. This is Resi Week, your weekly look at the residential side of the AV industry. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. I'm thoroughly confused because last week somebody else took over for me for AV Week, and now I'm sitting in the chair for Mr. Matt D. Scott. So I'm your host uh, with us to discuss the news and information for the residential market. First and foremost, Ian Bryant from Premier SAV. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much for having me. It's always a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Uh, and Mr. Mark Corbin, of course, from our buddy over at Banco. Welcome, sir. Thank you for having me, Tim. Always appreciate it. Absolutely. And if you're not watching the video, uh, Ian has the epic beard. I have the epic hair. Um, and Mark looks like a clean cut, just uh, Midwestern guy. So, you know, I don't know what's wrong with you. Should, you should, you should grow your memo. leg hair out. That's I, didn't, I didn't get the memo. All right. Um, from my buddy, uh, Jeremy. Um, uh, Glowaki from over at ResTech Today. Actually, Jeremy didn't write this, but he runs ResTech Today. Uh, from Jay Basin, talking about natural disaster de- detection sensors in a smart home, not just fire detection, because that's simple, right? You've got, you know, smoke detectors, which we've all had forever and a day, but you've also got uh, a bunch of other different um, detectors, including CO2 emissions, air quality monitors, um, water uh, for flooding, um, weather monitoring systems all sorts of things. The, the article goes on to talk about what um, integrators, you know, residential integrators can do uh, to put some of these smart sensors in, in the home to not just alert the homeowners, but also to prevent some sort of, of, of disaster happening. Ian, I'm going to start with you on this. When you're reading this article and you're, you're saying, okay, you know, yeah, we can do earthquake detection, right? Obviously, depending on, on the, uh, the region of the United States that we're talking about, obviously, that's more important than other re- regions. But when you're talking to clients and you're talking to you know, other integrators about what they're doing, what sort of implementation can they put into a home to safeguard against some of these extreme weather events that we keep happening? Uh, well, I first got to give props to Jay, by the way, for uh, posting GitHub links for some modules that he's written for integrating these. I thought that was, uh, I know he's, you know, tipping his hat a little bit, but that was pretty cool that he's getting people access to those. But yeah, this is really a perfect example of what integrators can do to really take power of the integrated system in a home and start automating things to happen. Um, when you start, you know, when he talks about the fire detection of, and then we're not talking about internal fires, but external fires and being able to automate the blinds to pull up. So if it gets extremely hot that they don't start to possibly catch fire or to start sprinkler systems turning on. Um, these are things that can be quite easily integrated and automated into a home system, uh, with just a little bit of, of work. Um, and you know, we've, we've been talking about air quality integration and how that can make a big difference. Uh, when you start um, putting in the sensors to pick up on 
um, you know, chemicals or, 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 you know, all types of different particulates and, and start activating fans and ventilation and, and, and cleaning the air in the house. But when you start really thinking about outside the house and how you can prevent um, the natural disasters from affecting the home, it really becomes a whole nother ball game. I really love this discussion um, to see what we can do. But I would also like to say um, that one of the things that we really also should start looking at, and I hope that the architectural design community is, is how to build some of these homes to be able to withstand these better. So you have uh, fireproof materials um, that the house is being built with, or um, if you're in a floodplain or a possible floodplain to build your house up a story and use the base level as, as a parking area um, and have all your utilities up one so they don't get damaged by floods. There's lots of things that can be done to also help prevent that based um, on how you design and build the house as well. So those two things put together could make a huge impact in what kind of devastation and what kind of loss we're looking at in some of these communities and the areas where there's going to be continued um, natural disasters. Yeah, I, I have a, a dear friend who has a, he, he lives in, in Louisville, uh, Kentucky, right on the river. And just like Ian just said, his, his technically his first floor is nothing but the garage uh, and it's all concrete. And then the living space starts on the second floor. Uh, right. So actually, that's something you can do there. Uh, Mark, same kind of question as you're working with dealers who are working with homeowners, you know, what are some of the, some of the safeguards that that folks can put into place uh, to help the homeowners, you know, um, stem the the, uh, the the effects of some of these natural uh, disasters? Sure. I mean, uh, he, you know, Ian brought up a great point. You know, I, we, I live in the Midwest. Our, our company's based out of the Midwest. So basements are a huge deal. In the Midwest, uh, very prone to leaking, right? Uh, very prone to weather situations. So this is even a bigger deal for the Midwest area. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, if you look at local, even hardware stores are doing a lot of leak protection on any kind of device that's getting put out, whether it be a water heater, whether it even be a refrigerator, right? There's all kind of leak detection. So I think to be able to predict the weather, um, uh, you know, incoming and changes are extremely important, especially for basements with people who have sump pump backups and multiple devices even in there. I mean, think about your electronics that you house within basements. Um, so it's really important for the Midwest to be able to tackle these type of issues. I mean, even from a wind standpoint, the Midwest, as you guys know, is extremely windy and outdoor equipment can get damaged extremely easy. So even to Ian's point of learning as an integrator and a builder to deal with those situations as you expand your market, I think it's extremely important. And the fact that it's getting so much more accessible now uh, to the end user and to the integrator, it's, it's phenomenal. And it sounds like a world sometimes I feel like, oh, we're so privileged to have these things. But at the same time, we're spending a lot more money on our homes and on our, our luxury items than has been done ever in the past. So it makes a ton of sense. We want to protect our equipment. We want to protect our homes. And as you know, I mean, anytime you can relieve yourself from major insurance claims or insurance issues, it's huge. I mean, it, I would assume also in, in the long term, does this help insurance rates and so forth? It's, it's all going to be really interesting as this grows into a large market and category. I was just going to add also, um, you know, this also is a lot easier than it used to be coming from someone that used to do um, Crestron and AMX programming through the 
early 2000s and the mid 2000s, we had to do a lot of really customized coding and it was very difficult and cumbersome, but with things like Matter and other IP-based communication protocols, it's, it's really becoming easier to integrate these things and have actions happen for the customer to help protect it. It's, it's not as hard as it used to be, so it's not something to be afraid of. Start digging into it a little bit and, and you can really make an impact on your customer's life. Yeah, and I like the biggest one that always comes to me, and, and probably because it serves every single part of the, the nation, not like Midwest or South has, you know, Southeast is going to have obviously hurricanes, but right, like lightning alone, lightning alone, uh, if you can pre prevent, I mean, we all know, you know, power, um, you know, we can always save with MOVs and, and, and we can help the power distribution when there's something like that. But at the same time, if you're alerted way before shutting your system down makes a big difference. So uh, all of those things, if you really think about it, start to come into play. And then how long is it before they all start to interact with each other, right? So, Well, that, that weather flow station actually said that they are doing a cloud-based uh, pooling of data in your area, which I thought was really interesting to read. So before you get a sense from your weather station that there may be lightning in the area, you may have another weather station from another user 10 to 20 miles away. And that gives you exactly what Mark was saying. That'll give you that notification. All right, we're going to go ahead and shut the system down to protect everything. We know there's lightning coming near. I thought that was really cool. And imagine if all your power management companies somehow started integrating that kind of equipment within. I mean, it's pretty, it's, it can be really fascinating if you think about it. Yeah. Well, and you both mentioned lightning. I, I, I want to make up a story. <clears throat> a, a friend of all three of ours, uh, Joe Whitaker, here in, in St. Yeah. Louis. Um, Joe took over a project. Uh, that is near and dear to my heart. I, I, I tell people I live in St. Louis. I actually live on the Illinois side. And um, here in, in my hometown of Alton, Illinois, there is a, a place called the Olin Mansion. And it's an old historic mansion that Joe took over the job uh, because the other integrator couldn't, you know, they, they just, they weren't doing a very good job. I'll just put it that way. And um, the issue was they had a lightning strike and the lightnings struck the security system and the way the electricity works, and this is an old saying from um, from uh, from Kevin Isella, Ian, is that electricity just works, right? It's going to find a way. And that, that lightning strike fried the entire AV system, entire uh, control system. And that's something that is, I'm not going to say it's relatively easy to do, but it is a low-tech way to protect your gear, right? You can put in, you know... Um, um, Electrical, electrical, not electrical poles, but but uh, power poles uh, in the ground to capture that electricity and and and, and basically attract it, uh, attract the the lightning uh, well before right. it ever gets into your system. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. It's and it's damaging. And to your point, once you know a lightning comes in, it's got to get a way out. So you never know where that is going to travel. So. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Uh, next story comes to us from CE Pro. Holy crap, the government wants to take everything from you. Not really. Uh, the federal ban on incandescent light bulbs. Uh, the Department of, Edu of, of, of Energy uh, on the minimum allowable lighting efficiency goes into effect. Here's the over-under on this, kids. And, and I am going to try to be as non-political as possible on this story because it is the government. Uh, and currently here in the States, it is a Democrat, uh, Democratic White House. However, quote unquote, the current rule serves as the culmination of a bipartisan effort 
to phase out inefficient light bulbs that started back in 2007 under the Bush administration. So this is something that the feds have been working on for quite a while. Um, there are several memes that says, you know, the current administration, President Biden wants to take everything from your stove to your refrigerator to your light bulb. Uh, Mark, we'll start with you on this. Incandescent bulbs have been uh, phasing out uh, since since the 2000s. Um, yep. You know, compact uh, fluorescent light bulbs uh, are, are kind of the go to now. LEDs are, have also come into uh, come into play here. When you look at things that the, the federal government can do in the uh, in the sphere of a homeowner and what they can and cannot put in, what are integrators able to do to help them navigate some of these new rules and still make sure that they have an experience that they want to have in their home? Sure. Uh, I mean, it's crazy to me that they're, they're capable of actually banning a bulb that is pretty somewhat still efficient in circum, certain circumstances. Uh, I, I would think from a home standpoint, I understand that we are going to be saving a ton of energy using LED bulbs. Uh, but at the same time, I think um, I find it really interesting because certain types of textures and lightings that you want to produce, whether it be in filming, whether it be in interviewing, uh, I find it interesting that, you know, all of a sudden we can't utilize different type of calvinages in an incandescent bulb. So being a manufacturer of some small bulbs, we have a little bit of bulbs we do ourselves. Uh, yeah, I find it really interesting. Um, I think for the integrators, uh, luckily there's so many tools at their hands now within LED. My biggest problem I find is compatibility. So if with LEDs, a lot of your LED bulbs are also not completely compatible with the fixtures. And that is a really common problem within any integrator's system, within any, any integrator's job, is there's multiple times you buy bulbs that are just not compatible with the fixture that you're using. Um, that is really important to make sure you look at. A lot of, uh, you know, they make this push for incandescent, but yet you forget that your bulb fixture manufacturers, some don't have uh, a re reliable um, LED ballast in there. So that's another whole situation that while you're banning the bulbs, we have to look at also look at all the fixtures that are still out there that also probably are not compatible. So you might be saving driving driving savings on energy costs, but are we driving savings more for expense because we're having to convert to so much? So it could be a long-term plan, but I would say to any integrator out there dealing with this situation, you got to check compatibility issues. I had the same problem at my own house and it was pretty frustrating. Um, the one thing from the incandescent standpoint of manufacturing, um, it is a lot cleaner to manufacture LEDs, but I will tell you it is not always as inexpensive. So um, okay. that is just the, it's true. I mean, sometimes uh, LED costs can get extremely high over time too, just because of the demand of LED right now as well, so. Ian, according to the article, uh, the move hopes to save homeowners $3 billion in energy costs and eliminate 222 million metric tons of carbon. Now, that's on one side. I'll ask you the first part of the question, the same thing I asked Mark, but I've got a follow-up to that as well. And that goes into the, the, the waste uh, and the, you know, um, the, the trash that's going to be uh, accumulated here. So how, how do we help homeowners uh, navigate these waters but still get the experience they want at home? 
It's going to be tricky. Uh, so I was thinking uh, when I thought about this kind of perspective, my first thought from an integrator side was that there is a big opportunity here for integrators, especially those that are working with um, uh, integrated and distributed lighting systems. Yeah. Uh, and, and my thought initially, and you're right, there is going to be some waste generated. We're going to have a lot of, um, for instance, old dimming modules or dimmers that were part of distributed lighting systems that are not going to be compatible with LEDs uh, when they go to switch them out, um, which are going to have to be removed and replaced. Uh, so there will be some waste there, but there is a great opportunity for an integrator. And my recommendation is to get out in front of it. When I saw this article, the first thought I thought, or I was thinking of as an integrator myself is we, for us to start sending out news, a newsletter blast about this discussion to our customers that have older outdated systems, that this is coming. And when they go to start thinking about replacing certain light fixtures or grouping of light fixtures in their house, that we may need to consult with them to make sure that they're going to be able to be LED compatible with the system that they've have installed. Yeah. So it's a great opportunity for integrators to, to look good as, as someone that's taking care of your customer business opportunities you may get that pushback um unfortunately uh hey i just put the system in five ten years ago and now i've got to replace this stuff because i'm putting in leds on top of that the other the other business perspective i was thinking is if you're an integrator that's doing lighting systems or you're thinking about doing them this is a great opportunity to partner with some of the manufacturers that are focused in the ci channel that provide high quality LED fixtures, because that's one thing that we all know, anyone that's done lighting in this industry, is there, there is a giant portion of the manufacturers out there um, that are doing very bad quality. And it's a lot of that, you know, direct to the con contractor construction grade stuff where they're not dimmable or they have a lot of issues. Um, so there's a little bit of education that's going to have to happen to the to the integrators to make sure that they're up to date on some of the LED technologies, some of the good manufacturers, and what and what not to to spec in the systems. So I looked at it as it's a bummer. Um, I love the color of some of the incandescents. I like what Mark said. You know, there are some definitely when you look at it from a design perspective, there are definitely some areas in the home where you want that warm, uh, cool look that is is very very tunable as far as percentage and levels we can get it really really low that sometimes you can't get that with leds except with really high dollar ones um, but at the same time i look at it as moving forward and a lot of business opportunities for the channel yeah absolutely yeah and i i think but, it's going to just keep expanding obviously the only question i always have is like with all this remaining business you got to think of like small or larger residential settings, even with, uh, you know, certain theatrical lighting and all that. I mean, you know, you've got a lot of old setups that are now going to have to change a lot of different stuff. So to your yep. point, I think it could grow a ton of new business for, for integrators, uh, but could also cause some frustration for the end user for sure. Absolutely. Well, and that, that actually brings up the, the, the kind of the, the waste conversation is, you know, yes, we can, we can upgrade. Um, and I'm reminded of another government-driven um, upgrade system that we had to do um, on the on the commercial side and, and the the pro audio side, and that's the wireless spectrum, um, right? Uh, right. You had a number of, of wireless manufacturers, right? Whether it was AT or Sennheiser or Sure, offering rebates, basically. Not basically. That's what they were offering. It wasn't basically. It they were offering money back to in essence, in essence selling back your old systems that would no longer work would, which would in essence be illegal 
um, to purchase new channels that were on the current spectrum. Is there anything that either of you have seen um, in any of the lighting systems, uh, lighting companies coming down the pipeline that says, hey, if you're upgrading from incandescent to LED, you know, here's a rebate or here's a way to help out your customers or they just not even, they haven't gotten there yet. Well, that's, you know, it's really interesting because I was thinking like house of worship. I was thinking yeah. about stages. I think about your smaller venues. You know, we, we do a lot with that. Um, and, and I haven't seen a thing. So that's, that was like one of my bigger concerns was like, even we do a lot, uh, you know, within stage and, and musicians. So it's, to me, I'm looking at, okay, what about all these older stages? And that you, you got to realize like a lot of entertainment and music was done in incandescent lighting and then a lot of it's set up that way. So to your point, I would hope that as the government bans this, they give the opportunities to house and worship and commercials that, that are willing to be greener or be cleaner and step up to that kind of system. But the costs are going to be, costs are going to be high. I mean, yeah. So I, I haven't seen anything come through from the resi side yet, but I did want to point out one thing. It, it is very much, for those that haven't read the article, there is very much a government feel here. They're not actually banning the bulb. They're banning the efficiency rating uh, that an incandescent bulb is, in, is unable to meet. So anything under 45 watts per lumen is being banned and most uh, incandescents are 15 watts. What I thought was also interesting was at the very end, there was talk of possibly increasing that to 120 watts per lumen, which would take a lot of the LEDs out of the ball game as well, which would force manufacturers to be even more efficient um, in like very quick time. So you're saying there, there's an opportunity here, Ian, is what you're saying, is if a bunch of us, not a bunch of us, a bunch of you smart people, because I'm not this smart, bunch of, of smart people can get together and figure out a way to get 120 lumens out of, no. 120 lumen, watts per one lumen. Per yeah. One. Okay. Yeah. I'll call you and you could figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I'm not even sure what you said, so. <laughs> it's a very, it's a very backwards way of banning something without banning it. <laughs> well, it, it is, right? And, and, you know, I referenced back the, the wireless spectrum. That was a straight up you know, they sold the stuff off, right? There, there was no, you know, but this is a way, you know, this is reminiscent of the, um, of the uh, fuel efficiency from a number of years ago, right? Yeah. Where uh, cars had to be so, so, so much fuel efficient. And so and this is probably more information than anybody needed, but this is why the rise of SUVs came to be because SUVs are actually technically a car built on top of a truck chassis. So a SUV is really a truck and the efficiency of a truck is actually, according to federal standards, is much lower than the efficiency of a car. Now you have SUVs. That is, and, and now you guys know that. All right. Um, <laughs> last story here, and, and we'll, we'll crank through this one really quickly, but it comes from residential systems. Um, and taking a look at a, um, well, he's, he's a, bit of a, a, a bit of a mad scientist. Uh, Norm Varney, um, he's from AV Room Service, and he is, um, He's involved in a, in a system where he is really getting into the acoustics um, as well as as the the power conditioning of the system. And Ian, I want to start with you on this. Those are two areas that are not inherently sexy, right? Of, of, of when you look at any sort of AV system, but also inherently important. How do you talk to and how do you sell that to a client where? 
they can look at the price tag and if you've got a line item right they can see acoustic treatment and depending on the client they could you know they could have a little bit of sticker shock right um power conditioning not so much but certainly on on acoustics you know how do you sell things like that that is not a hundred inch tv right it's not ginormous speakers but it's incredibly important to the overall experience it's not easy uh from anyone that's been in this industry for um long enough knows that you're right it's it's one of those that you really have to give them the experience they don't know until they know and once they know they get it um and whether that be taking them to a showroom or having um, one of your other customers um, that you've done a system for allow uh, a new customer maybe experience it it's really that from what i found that is the most effective way is getting them to experience it um you know you you don't know what a a thousand horsepower car feels like and launching off the line until you sit in one and then you, once you know you're like oh then you compare everything to that so until you have that experience of what is perfect or close to perfect or is striving for perfection then you then you be able you're able to set that baseline um, but explaining that to some customers just doesn't go anywhere because it's not um, of importance of them. We have customers that are very, very keen on audio and want the best quality they can get. But when it comes to video, they don't care about spending a dime. And we have customers with the exact opposite. They want the best video, but when it comes to audio, they're just really not interested. And no matter how many times you explain it to them, it's not going to change their mind. But those that are a little open-minded, um, which are your, hopefully your preferred customers, you can yeah. get them to experience it and really, you know, understand how, how much of an impact they can have when you can have music and, and movies give, give you an emotional feedback. So Mark, Mark um, Vanco is, is, is the purveyor of one of my favorite speakers, uh, Beale Street Audio. Vanco is not a, a sponsor in any way, shape or form, but I, I, I remember the first time I, I experienced um bill street and that was at cedia a number of years ago and that was a unique experience how do you work with your dealers to um you know sell that experience before you know they they can experience or to ann's point they have to experience that um to to get sold on whether that's power conditioning or a speaker that they they are being introduced to yeah so the point of our speakers are obviously to have larger volume clear capabilities, whether it's treble, bass, by the design of it, but that's great and all, unless you're not hooking it up well, right? I mean, we also manufacture a lot of wire and the wire itself is extremely important, right? I mean, the article talks about the difference in the wire that they had to change out. Um, yep. And then, I mean, the biggest thing is the ohm conduction just coming from the panel itself. I think a lot of people don't understand. Um, I, I mean, I'm going to use Monster Cable back in the day when they did their clean power, right? Like clean power was that was a thing because no and one gold tip connectors. No one no understood oh that God. there was noise. You know, there's noise in the line, and there's yeah. feedback, and there's issues in that. And I, this is just going into a much, much deeper scale of that. But, you know, uh, even magnetic, you know, sound tubes within ProMI cable is, is there's reasonings to draw those electronic fields out of the cable and out of your system because it, it can produce a lot of, to a person who, to Ian's point, has experienced it, they'll hear it and, and, and it'll bother them. And even if it's not a million dollar system, right, it, it's still on a very large scale system, once you hear what a 
true audio file knows how to deal with and manage, it is absolutely incredible and it will make your experience way better. Um, I agree with you, Ian. I think a lot of people in this day and age with all these giant TVs and 8K, and trust me, we are loving it as well. I mean, it's a great industry, but the audio side, because there's never this gigantic in, in, inventions other than you know maybe you know wireless audio and so forth, I think it gets lost in how perfect you can make your system for audio and it starts with your amplification, right? The correct power in that. It starts with the good wiring and it starts with a good ground conduction. And if you're not getting any grounding within your system, you, you will hear multiple feedbacks. So mm -hmm. I think it's a great article. I'd love to be able to say I knew all of this type of knowledge and uh, was capable of being able to understand all of it, but it, it really is important. And it's really unique to see. I, I'd love to hear a system that large. Um, oh my gosh, yeah. That would be incredible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, we'll put a link to that article as well as the others on this episode's page. Thank you both so much. Ian Bryant uh, from Premier SAV. Thank you, sir. Uh, how do people connect with you? Thanks. Uh, yeah, you can go to www.premiersav.com um, or ian.bryant at Premier SAV, and that's Premier, P-R-E-M-I-E-R-E-S-A-V.com. Very good. Mr. Corbin, thank you, sir. Uh, how do people connect with you or Vanco? We just go to our website at vanco1, that's the number one.com, or check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Van Vanco International. We will also be at Cedia, so please check us out at Cedia. At our, our booth will be 1532. You can't miss us. We've got a big one this year, and look forward to seeing you out there. Denver's going to be a fun spot. All right, and Mr. Bryant, you will also be teaching at Cedia. So what are you going to be talking about? Uh, yeah, I'll be co-instructing one of the network labs. Um, they are back this year. Uh, so we will be doing a couple of the hands-on networking labs come out and get a network or get a whole education pass and, and have fun. It's going to be great. All right, very good. Uh, for me, for Tim Albright, don't follow me on the Twitters, uh, but go by the website, avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. You will find this uh, program as well as a host of others. I mentioned this at the beginning. This is my usual gig. I usually uh, host AV Week, which is the commercial side of, of what this is. Uh, but I am going to Cedia, and uh, Cedia is September 7th through the 9th. Uh, incredibly excited to, to go. Uh, Cedia is one of my favorite shows, and especially excited this year uh, because of the Commercial Integrator Expo that's going to be going alongside it. Uh, our friend uh, Dan Farisi and the other folks at Commercial Integrator uh, they're going to have the commercial side um, on the show floor in conjunction with CDS. So that'll be really, really fun. Uh, you'll find me. Uh, you'll find Dan Parisi. You'll find Chris Netto. And I'm still trying to get him to eat a pineapple pizza, uh, but that's a whole <laughs> other conversation. So uh, you'll check me out. Uh, you can see, uh, check us out um, the uh, September 7th through the 9th at CDS in Denver, uh, CDS Expo and CI, CI Expo as well. So all that and more at avionation.tv. That's avionation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching. That's all the time we have for Resi Week. Hello, this is Steve Greenblatt, host of Aviation's Estate of Control podcast. Each month, Rich Fergoza and I explore trending topics, foundational subject matter related to control programming and automation in the audiovisual industry. We speak with a variety of AV professionals who share their perspective, knowledge, and experiences. Please join us for this monthly conversation. Check out Estata Control on avnation.tv or wherever you get your podcasts.